You are listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go! Happy New Year and welcome to the 103rd episode of Ace Comicals. It is now 2021. Not that you'd notice. Uh, Joining me today is Rahul. Hello guys, Happy New Year. And Leon. Happy New Year everybody. So yeah, um, we're finally out of 2020 but for some reason it doesn't really feel like it does it? It's like 2020 is like hanging on the edge of the cliff with its fingernails, refusing to <laughs> refusing to just fall. Why? Why wouldn't you fall into the lava 2020? Why? It's like the end of a Scooby-Doo episode. You pull the mask off 2020 just to reveal 2021. <laughs> it's going to keep happening for the next forever. Something like that. But yeah, I mean, at, at least there's kind of an end in sight now. So we, we, we've got like a, we, we've got, we've got an end, an end in sight. There's an end point. Like, like. As in like the thermodynamic end of the universe. What what are you referring to? (laughs) (laughs) I'm referring to the fact that there's now a vaccine. Right. (laughs) Yeah. For, for, for COVID. So it's like, there is some hope. It's not, it's not like we're going to be stuck confined to our four walls for the rest of our lives and unable to go out drinking and things so i i found you know. this a really interesting topic to like have with people a topic of conversation to have with people because i like i talk to my colleagues a lot and we have some of us have very different viewpoints on how to like deal with this kind of news or deal with this forward forward thinking optimism and like i wouldn't say i'm a pessimist i would say i'm like slightly cynical realist and in the sense that i'm i don't think i have it in me to be prepared for the best so, like, the fact that there's a vaccine, you know, available and ready and soon on the horizon and all of that, I'm not going to start changing my attitude or behavior or, like, mindset, I think, until it's real. And, like, it sounds like you're, you you don't have the same thing. Well, no, I'm kind of on board with you, as in I'm not going to change my behavior. I'm certainly not going to be like, oh, you know... Ding dong, oh, yeah. which is dead. Let's all skip around and hug and kiss random strangers and things no, because we've got a vaccine now. Not but, to suggest that you would like do yeah. anything harmful. That's that's not what I meant. I meant more like in terms of being forward thinking and like some of my colleagues are already considering, oh, what gigs can we buy tickets for? And, you know, what's the first film we're going to go see? I'm like, I can't oh. bring myself to think about those things quite yet. I'm not doing anything. I'm not, I'm not thinking like that. What I'm thinking is mm. like, I have something that I can hope and anchor myself to. So mm. it's like, rather than thinking, oh, you know, I can now, like, I'm going to buy tickets for this gig at the end of the year because I feel that by then it's all going to be fine or whatever. It's more like I can at least see the end now. And if, if I, you know, I can think positively, I guess, in mm. in a way I can try to think positively and I can try to, to think that way and try to be a little bit less you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, dour about the whole thing, I guess. I think, yeah. I think that's what I'm trying to do. I'm looking for, for something that I can be happy about, I suppose. And I'm happy about the fact that there's a vaccine. I'm happy about that. 
So yeah. Hmm. It's just interesting. I'm, all our, all of our various coping mechanisms. I think. Yeah. Like Leon, Leon, where do you stand on that kind of stuff? Um, I don't really have strong feelings either way. Because I would also say that I'm realist slash pessimist in in a way. But it's more because I'm always cautiously optimistic. But Hmm. I'm the type of person who wouldn't celebrate Biden's win until the very last news station called it. Hmm. Like I, I don't get confident with those things as I've seen them go the other way too many times. So while I'm hopeful that there's things like vaccines and stuff out there more being approved each week, the fact of the matter is at the moment in this country, we've got like the worst spikes since it began. So I don't know, even with the vaccines being available, like I've got no idea when they'll be rolled out so that people like you and I are getting them. So Hmm. yeah. I have a thing where I don't like to rain on other people's parades because different things give people joy. And if Mm. this um, over the horizon is enough to break the dread that we've received so far, having isolations and COVID with us for the best part of last year, then that's cool. But personally, I'm like as careful as I've been and in terms of thinking forward I'm not making any plans or anything I'm not thinking oh by the summer I might be able to go on holiday or anything like I'm just taking everything as it comes and yeah. being as cautious mm. as I can really well I'm 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 somewhere between like because I, I like I'm saying I'm I, I like the fact that the fact that there's a vaccine is giving me something to hope about like oh you know it's nice it th- there's an end in sight is what I'm trying I'm not saying that I am yeah, planning yeah. a holiday or, or planning to go to gigs and things or buying tickets for anything because that's just silly because by August none of this might be over and we might still not be able to have big events and things like that as much as I I would love to be able to walk into a comics convention hall and walk from table to table and buy physical comics from people and things like that as much as i'd love to be able to do that i don't know whether i will be able to do that by the end of this year it would be nice to be able to do that by the end of this year and um if you know i I, the fact that there's a vaccine lets me know that there is an ending to this somewhere is what i'm trying to say i suppose yeah i mean uh, to be clear i wasn't um certainly wasn't passing judgment on anyone's you know, uh, like like uh, Leon was saying, whatever gives people hope and the way yeah. it manifests, then you know, to each their own. It's just I find it a really interesting, interesting like conversation to have about the way people, what people look forward to. Because I'm just someone who takes it a day at a time because I can't deal with. I don't have it in me to think that far forward. Um, yeah. And like we were talking about this before we started recording about like, I haven't even looked at what comics are coming out in 2021 and we'll get to that shortly. Right. Because mm. as you were saying, there's a lot to look forward to. There's a lot of yeah. um, creative output that's happening in 2021 that we can, you know, look f- like, as we said, look forward to. So, uh, yeah. I've decided that I have to start looking forward to things. That's like one of the things that like I want to do more of. Hmm. Because if I don't, and I I stew too much in the present, sometimes that's what puts me in a hole. So, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, 
it's hard to articulate and I'd probably have a better answer if I was expecting the question. But, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I think we're in a, we're all in a similar place. It's just, it's not about really your actions, but more about your outlook. And mm. I mm, think yeah. your outlook, Greg, is quite common and quite a good one. And like, despite reservations that me and Rahul might have where we're more just a case of we'll see how it goes it uh, it, it might seem like because we're not in the same position that you are that we're thinking like meh vaccines and it's like no we're both incredulous at like how quick the vaccines were done and how amazing that is and how that people have already started to be vaccinated and that's an amazing thing considering that this is a novel coronavirus so yeah i'm hopeful for things like that of course and i'm i'm uh, just always pleasantly surprised at like what happens when like humanity came together to try and fix something but then i've always got to temper that for myself in terms of how the governments have been acting with this stuff before and after so i'm i'm always yeah. just i'm hopeful that good things will happen quickly but because it's out of my control and my evidence so far has been to the contrary i can only be cautious mm. so i think what we were trying to say with all of that at the beginning of the episode is happy new year and last year was difficult for everyone especially the comics industry um, on top of all the, uh, well, all the arts industries, all the arts and, and um, the hospitality industries as well, like suffered especially, but like specifically to us, it was, it, we, our, our thing is comics. This is a comics podcast. So yes, the comics industry suffered last year. Um, and, but I mean, like even with all the, like, the, the shutdown that happened and with everything that was going on with like comic shops having to shut up and being unable to operate and things like that. People found ways around it and, you know, we're still getting comics into people's hands. People were still able to read and enjoy comics. People were still making comics throughout all of it. And um, it, it didn't really a lot of great things came out of 2020 still a lot of great books like we had a lot of really good creative output still and a lot of really good comics and it was i feel like it was quite a good year for comics despite everything that happened um i don't know how you two saw that yeah absolutely like the, we saw like we saw multiple ways that people were uh, putting their energies into their creative outlets and like we talked a lot about for example even just just picking out one like the quarantine comics the um the ice cream man series and like how uh people were using this time and space and like the the the, the friction provided by this new change in the world to you know inform the stories they were making and inform the art they were doing and i saw like part of the joy <laughs> part of the glimmers of hope in the doom scrolling was seeing people's artwork and creative outlet. And yeah, I think a lot of, I think there was some good stuff that came out of the energy brought out by COVID. And, and seeing people helping each other as well, mm. like doing things like for each other, offering things, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Like I'm and making, always, I'm always up for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like making art for, 
um, like for various ends. So like making art that is comforting to people, making art that is, you know, informative to people and then making art that can be sold and then be used to generate, you know, revenue for um, charities and, you know, mm. social work and that kind of stuff. I think, it, 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 you know, you put people in a in a tragedy and you'll see the best parts of them, hopefully, sometimes. And we I'm, saw a lot I'm of that. Always, we saw a lot of hopefulness. Yeah. I'm always down for hopefulness and seeing people do what they can in tough in these tough times and things like that. And that was that was one of the things that I, I used to I, I enjoyed seeing like last summer and things especially like in, in what I have now termed deepest lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> um when when uh you know when we were seeing like a lot of this stuff come out, like people pulling together, like, cause th- there was a point last year when the whole world had shut down effectively. Like it wasn't just like lockdowns in various countries or in various places in, in various countries. It was like, literally like the whole world was on the same page at, at one point. Um, and well, I-, I say the whole world, I mean the countries that are in my news orbit, because I don't, I mean, places like, um, America and France, like Europe and whatever places on mainland Europe, Britain, etc. Like it, it felt like everything was in sync for a moment and everyone was shut down at the same time. Mm. Um, and that was when you started to get like a lot of this output online and people kind of like talking about it and doing stuff for each other, just, just, just to do stuff for each other, just to keep each other sane during that time period, which I think is something very unique that, I don't know if you'll ever see anything like that ever again, to be honest. (laughs) And it was kind of cool when it did happen. Um, But yeah, so, I mean, despite everything that happened last year, there was a lot of cool books and a lot of cool things that came out of last year. So, I mean, we we like doing yearly roundups. We've done this um, for a couple of years now while we've been doing this podcast. So this is going to be our 2020 yearly roundup, I guess, but it's going to be a little bit different this time because instead of just listing off all the things like our our favorite books for 2020 what we've done is uh we've come up with like a little bit of a well a little bit of a system for um for the books that we've chosen so what we've done is we've decided we get one 2020 book each i've cheated i've got two uh (laughs) we get one comfort book each because of uh you know like during the hardest times last year like what comic book did we turn to for comfort and and how did that help us and that kind of thing uh, and we've also got one discovery from last year which wouldn't necessarily be a 2020 book but a book that we discovered last year that had been released previously that had been like just completely missed us and then we picked it up last year and and were pleasantly surprised or really enjoyed it um, so what I'm going to do, I'm kick us off by going through my 2020 books, um, because I'm cheating and I've got to, because it's really difficult for me to pin things down to, I mean, this is, I'm, I, I must've set the precedent for this by now. I always cheat with these things, don't I? I can never just have one. I'm like, <laughs> I'm terrible at this. Um, but yeah, so the first one I'm going to talk about is going to be, um, Bowie. Stardust Rayguns and Moon Age Daydreams, which I, um, on the end of year story X story live, um, live stream, I talked about this book and, uh, I talked about it on an episode of Ace Comicals, um, episode 89 to be specific. Um, and I'm going to talk about it again now because I just think it's such a great book. And 
it just it just has like this beautiful like it, it's this beautiful pop art world that you can just open and just fall into um and it was released in january in 2020 but i didn't pick it up until later on in the year during like all the stuff that was going on with covid and whatever um like after after it had hit big and um we were in the midst of the lockdown it was in june when i picked this up so i picked it up and i read it and i was i just instantly fell in love with this book it it had all kinds of escapism it was you know a meticulously researched and put together biography of david bowie who is one of my favorite musicians i love his i love all his output i love like i i talked about this before but i love his use of identity as a you know the way he used to he would reinvent himself for each release ever like and 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 these these concepts that he would have for each album and things like that and these stories that he would tell it's like identity he he was his own he was the canvas and and like his art was his identity and he was like communicating that to us via his music and and it's all expertly put out and put together in this graphic novel in the way that it is told the way the story is told the way that Michael Red illustrates that with you know these beautiful colors by Laura and everything else and it's just it's just absolutely gorgeous um and i i learned a lot from this book and i it, it gave me escapism it fueled my other interests it gave me other things to explore it opened doors that i didn't even realize were there like so through this book, I gained like a deeper appreciation of Bowie's work and I was able to listen to his music with new ears, if you will, like with the the, the context that this book provided and things like that. And, and like, I don't think I would have got that from a prose biography. I think there's something specific about the fact that it was a graphic novel and in the way that it was put together and displayed in the way that the art is put together on the page and the the style of the art. I think I don't think anybody but the Alreds could have made this book. I don't think I I could have like imagined this book by any other artistic team or because I just, I just don't think it would work. I, I think, I think this, this was, it was preordained that they would make this book in some way, shape or form, because I don't think anybody else could have done it. And and, and I think it's just <clears throat> such a gorgeous piece of, of sequential art. And yeah, it's, it's like, it was so bright and bold and like, I mean, like Bowie was of our time and our world, but at the same time, he inhabited a different one. And through his art, he took us to that world. And this graphic novel takes us there. And I think it's so immersive. I don't think you could get that from a prose biography. And it was a great thing to to have in, in 2020. So, yeah, I have to say that is probably the first book that I'm going to say is one of my top books. I mean, did you guys ever check this out after I read it or... I don't know if you guys either ever went and checked it out. Did you ever check it out, Ray? No, I didn't get the chance to. 
I didn't get a chance. I didn't read it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, I mean, the, as with so many, it's it's on my list. And the uh, the fact that it's the Alreds, it puts it towards the top of that list. Um, and I've, you know, glanced through the, the artwork and everything. It does look like very much my kind of thing. But no, didn't didn't get around to it. Yeah, I'm in the yeah. same boat. It, it's... Uh... Like it looks so good, and the way you spoke about it, it really spoke to me. But I never got around to it. Mm. But yeah, like this was like this was totally my thing, and I'm glad that I I picked it up and I got to read it. I mean, I was excited about it, and I I remember I remember like up to getting it and reading it, I kept mentioning it. Like I kept saying, "Oh, the Bowie book, it's on my list. I should buy the Bowie book." I called it the Bowie book. Like <laughs> I should buy the Bowie book. It's on my list. Like, let's get the Bowie book. I wonder if they've got the Bowie book if I go in. If I'm feeling particularly flush today, I might walk out of the comic shop with the Bowie book. And I just kept going on like that. But then eventually I did actually end up with it. And uh, yeah, I'm glad I did. Because <laughs> it's great. Um, so yeah, that is Bowie. Uh, subtitle Stardust Reagans and Moon Age Daydreams. Um, your list of credits for that, which I'll just roll through now. You've got... Um, it is written by uh, Mike Allred and uh, Steve Horton. Uh, colors by Laura Allred and uh, assistance by uh, from Han Allred as well. And uh, forward by uh, Neil Gaiman. So yeah, uh, it's a it. The forward's pretty cool as well, actually. If it, it's it's a it's a it's altogether a a cool piece to have in your collection. Uh, it's very unique. And um, I think it's probably one of the better things to come out of last year. Um, Ray, do you want to give us uh, one of your top 2020 books or your top 2020 book? Uh, yeah, I'm not you, Greg. I have one top 2020 book that I picked. Um, not to say that I don't have multiples in another category, but we'll get we'll get to that. Um, yeah, so I just want to preface this by saying, um, like covid and dealing with covid and being at home work from home and all that stuff and all of the things that i um sort of dredged up at the beginning of this show which i didn't intend to do any derailing with but the reason i talk about it is because it's at the top of my mind in everything i do right now and i think um this or the last year 2020 was particularly difficult in my uh, for my means of like enjoying things and Long story short, I thought there was a point um, towards the end of 2020 where I'd, I'd genuinely fallen out of love with reading comics, I felt. And what I really appreciate is that you've given us this structure to sort of like think about what we've read and, you know, what we engaged with and why we engaged with it. And it made me realize, no, I didn't. I didn't actually fall out of uh, fall out of love with comics because I've gone back and revisited a bunch um, that you know we talked about over the last year, and um, really rediscovered some of the things that I loved. And in doing so, I realised that my favourite comic, like the thing that I enjoyed the most, that gave me generally just gave me the most amount of joy, was Finger Guns. Um, and that may come as no surprise because it's the one that I think I've talked about the most um, where previously that might have been like Giant Days or Ms. Marvel or something. I think 2020 was the year that I talked about Finger Guns a lot. And so this is um, it's a book by Justin Richards, art by Val Halverson, colours by Rebecca Nolte, um, letters by Taylor Esposito, and it's a Vault Comics book. And it's, in short, a story about 
lost souls finding each other i think that's that's how i would summarize it um like the reason i originally got into it was because as with so many comics i just loved the style of it i loved the the cartoony sort of colorful grainy sugar paper texture that the comic has i love the luminescent backgrounds and candy coated gradients all going on and um yeah and then i dived in and as we've discussed in episodes uh let me just check 86 and 94 um, which I've talked about. The uh, the comic begins as a story of two teenagers, Wes and Sadie, discovering that they have the power to alter people's behaviours using the, the titular finger guns. They can point at people and go like pew pew and change the way they behave. And it, it quickly expands from that to be a story about how these kids who have pretty different outlooks on life, uh, but both with tragic and difficult home lives in you know their various forms, are both capable and incapable of leveraging these powers to improve their situations and like the the magic while initially sparking the plot generally takes second place to the story of their blossoming friendship and the successes and failures in supporting each other and you know the traumas of coming from broken homes and it has some extremely sobering and extended depictions of domestic violence but not in a way that feels exploitative or shocking or you know like it's it's not there to just shock you but there's a clear empathy there and an an understanding of the effects that this kind of you know situation has on children and like ultimately it's a really tender story um which hits some key genre beats of you know teenagers coming of age discovering they have powers but it isn't trite and despite like the 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 core subject matter about you know domestic violence um it it finds time to find some really joyful moments you get you know you get scenes of the teenagers enjoying each other's company or like finding uh, finding commonalities and like uh, enjoying music together and ma- making each other brave and making each other each other joyful and like i don't know i think that that whole package just really worked for me so yeah definitely book of 2020 for me finger guns yeah uh leon new vision 2020 book yeah before i start i just want to echo some of that love i didn't uh catch up but what i read of finger guns at the time was really good and um there's an inherent i don't know pureness or sweetness just to the whole atmosphere i'd say which made Mm. it like a, a, a fun comic to engage with But yeah, so my pick this year, there's a lot of good books, a lot of books that I enjoyed. Though I think that the majority of them didn't come from this year, but one that did was uh, Hedra by uh, Jesse Lonigan. And me and Greg spoke about this comic uh, a few months back, I believe... Was episode ninety three, so not not mm. that far, not that long ago. Yeah, I mean, I I'm gonna interject it because I almost put that on my list, but then I would have had three, and that's like triple cheating. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, if but yeah, Leon, take it away. Yeah, if you've listened to that episode, you know my my thoughts. So I won't super double up. I'll just say that um, I think the thing that really enjoyed about this book is there is 
a pureness to the art. It is pure sequential art, story being told through images and images only. And the way that's done is so elegant, so clean. The, there's like an almost geometry to the like panel layouts, to the page layouts, to the way that the rules are often bent and broken in, in terms of what we're used to in storytelling from Western left to right comics. But this manages to do all of these things without feeling gimmicky or without feeling kind of slight. Instead, you get quite a rich story, but I think a lot of it is from inference and that whole adage of like a like an image sp- speaks a thousand words or whatever. Um, I think this is a very good uh, example of that being true. And like there's so much meticulous and, and dense just arrangement of certain panels, uh, the way how on certain pages you'll you'll get a style something new that hasn't been there before going from like the uh, you know those like sort of blown out diagrams that show you all the different bits of a machine and they're all labeled you, you get that style to pages that have over 30 panels on one page and they're all showing you different beats uh, increasing in intensity. Because it's 30-odd panels a page. It's almost intimidating mm-hmm. when you first glance at it because it's it's what I would term prog comics because yes. <laughs> it, it really is like very, very geometrical very precise very mathematical and at the same time it just completely blows the whole concept of sequential art wide open and really does play with sequential art in a unique way and and yes like when you look at these 30 odd panel pages it can almost appear intimidating out of context but it's surprisingly easy to follow still (laughs) it really is and so much is done in so little time and like I said with no textual exposition but you're never really lost in the story and the color palette at times is like like fairly simple you got a you got a color for the character a color for the sky and a color for the surroundings at times but the way these things overlap and interact with each other just make it a joy to continue reading and yeah that in ways the comics saying a lot about a few different things and i'm not going to prescribe really what i think it's mostly about but i think that you can take away a lot of different things in this especially to do with especially like hopeful things and like evolution and like looking looking to the future there's a, there's a lot of a lot of goodness in here and 
I really enjoyed my time with it. And it's a book that I can see myself returning to just because it is a pleasure to read and it looks so nice. And a lot of the pages could by themselves just be posters and prints that I would hang up on my wall. But um, Yeah, for, for sure. Yeah, I mean... I haven't got much more to say about this apart from check it out. It's a one shot um, published by Image Comics. And I think whatever you get out of it, it'll be different to what you get from anything else. I yeah. never uh, never spoke to you guys about this, but I did actually read this a um, little while ago. And yeah, um, echoing a lot of what you said. Like I, I love, I love the kind of, these kind of tonal pieces where i mean you know you know my lack of love for writing in comics like give, give me no text give me literally nothing just give me artwork that i can interpret from piece to piece to piece and this like you were saying greg intimidating amount of sequential frames per page and like i really i really dig that i like the uh, like blueprint exploded diagram construction aspect to it it's like sometimes it felt yeah. like like my favorite part about <laughs> It's, it sounds really not my favorite part. One of the things I actually love about building Lego is looking through the instruction manual. Like I'm one of those people. I like building Lego kits. I don't necessarily always have the mindset to be given a, a box of random Lego, but give me a kit that I can follow with a with a really well um, well crafted instruction manual, and then a thing that you can be proud of, where you you know you have the tangible aspect of building it. This comic gives me that feeling where you get to. You get to see the construction piece by piece by piece, slowly building up, you know, uh, block by block. And like the um, how mechanically constructed it is, how geometrically focused it is, all of that stuff really spoke to me. And uh, as Leon was saying, I think there's number of there's a number of things you can read into it. There's a number of takeaways you can get from it. But yeah, it's unlike anything else I read last year. With with your engineering background, I could almost have put money on the fact that this would appeal to you. I mean, none of you really uh, sold it to me on that aspect. I happened to just pick it up because I, I heard how enthusiastic Leon was um, yeah. talking about this. And uh, yeah, it, it really worked. I, I loved it. Good pick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to like, this is, so I'm coming back around again for a second book from 2020 because I feel like I have to mention this one as well. So I think Bowie is is like top of my list. But then there was also this little book called uh, The Department of Truth which um, me and Leon both spoke about in episode 98. And like, it, it was cool. It was timely. It was important. And it was a comment on the direction things have been going during 2020. Ari, um, what is truth and how truth works? It was like a kind of anti-X-Files thing where it was like the literally the anti-X-Files, like a reverse X-Files type thing. Uh, I think I even called it a reverse X-Files on the episode that, in fact, the episode that we talk about, it might actually be called reverse X-Files. I can't remember, but um, it, it really appealed to me on a level of it being something that a story that needed to be told during 2020 and the way that it, the way that it felt so important and timely and the way that it ran. And, and we're, we're now four, four issues in. Um, and like, it's, 
it's just so necessary like to to kind of like i i don't know it it, it it's almost sad that something like this has to exist or that something like this can exist. And I think I mentioned this before as well, for the fact that there is so much um, conspiracy bullshit out there that people believe and take as gospel truth. And it leads to dangerous, dangerous thinking. And it ruins lives of everyone involved. And it ultimately leads to like, well, you, you've only got to take what happened recently in, in the U S which like with, with the, um, the Capitol building, like a lot of that, a lot of the people that were standing out there were fueled by fucked up conspiracy theories. And that's, that's the beat. That's, that's it. Like a lot of the people that were standing there would have been fueled by this QAnon bullshit that's been going around and everything else. And it's, it, it's the fact that people can take this and turn this into their truth and hold this as their truth. And, and they've almost, they almost make their own world out of it. And what this comic does is it takes this and it, it holds a mirror up to it. It holds a mirror up to, up to this, these kind of like, the anti-truth as it were, because it's not, it's not because at this point when people believe it so, so vehemently, it's not a lie. It, and, and when it's so virulent, it's, it's not a lie anymore. It's not a conspiracy. It's an anti-truth, isn't it? Because people take it as gospel and believe it and believe in it. And this, this, what this comic did was it held a mirror up to that. And it, it was something that we needed. It was, it was something to keep us grounded. And it, it, makes a statement about how reality gets uh, twisted and how, how this, how this information is propagated and, and how easily this false information can fall into people's hands and how easy it is for people to get sucked in ordinary people falling down rabbit holes and ending up in these, these, this, this hall of mirrors reflecting, you know, like your own reflecting this stuff back at you and, and, twisting what you believe and twisting your perception of the world and uh, so the, the the crux of this comic is the fact that if people believe it hard enough it becomes real that was the whole point in the story and we have this like this government department called the department of truth whose job it was to combat this by making sure that people understood that it was bullshit basically <laughs> um and to stop people from believing in it so hard and to kind of put a stop to these these conspiracy theories or to stop them from getting out of hand, basically, to stop them from gaining too much of a foothold and too much power to combat that. Um, and it was like... It, it had like this this real ethereal dream slash nightmare-like quality to the art, which which kind of helps with this whole like, you know, is it, is, is it real? Is it manufactured by the mind thing that it has going on? Um, it had this like real Dave McKean quality to the art actually. Like, um, it's, um, it's very reminiscent of Dave McKean's like Sandman covers and, uh, you know, like the Arkham Asylum, uh, book. Um, and like, it just has like such an ethereal quality and it's such an important tale. And it actually, it, it has a lot of hope in there as well because it keeps you grounded and it makes you, it, you know, it, these people are out there fighting for the truth. And that's, that's what 
was the cool thing about it. This whole department dedicated to making sure that people believe in what's real to stop what's not real becoming real. And it had this this whole supernatural edge and it was just like the whole thing about it. And, and even four issues in now, I'm still like absolutely enamored by it, like page after page after page of this beautiful artwork and the way that, you know, it deals with all these different like conspiracy theories and things like that. Like issue three is one of my favorites. That one deals with like the whole... Um, the whole thing surrounding like uh, school shootings in the US and this whole thing with, you know, uh, crisis actors and, and like the fact that school shooting, some people out there believe that school shootings are um, like hoaxes put together by people that want to shut down the NRA and that kind of thing, like all, all along those kind of lines, like, and it's, it's quite, I mean, it, it's quite, harrowing in the journey it takes you through how it like this this woman whose son died in a school shooting and how she even begins to believe in the anti-truth herself that her son was a crisis actor and all of this and that it was all staged and she 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 falls onto the wrong side of the internet and then she starts to believe in this herself and it's kind of like, this is what I mean by like how it illustrates this and how, how these things ruin lives and things like that and how we need to be, how we need to be aware of these things and how to avoid them. And I think this is a great comic for illustrating that. And it's a great concept for a comic book. And I just, I just really did enjoy it. Like the propagation of the, this whole, this whole comment on the propagation of false information and all this beautiful artwork as well, all this beautiful, um, like beautiful gorgeous artwork like littered throughout so yeah i mean that is the department of truth and um that is written by james tynan uh artist here is mark simmons lettered by adi chibidika uh designed by dylan todd and edited by steve fox yeah that's um, a book that i do want to return to i read the first issues first two issues of you at the time and yeah. the concept is really cool. And I pretty much echo everything you said in terms of that uh, McKean quality. Uh, I love the colouring used in this book. Uh, I, I just love the sort of misty darkness that you have over the whole thing. And mm. uh, the, the way the, the general idea plays throughout those two issues is really good. And how you say it is reverse X Files does just kind of nail it. It's um, a good use, good use of like the metaphor through the form. I really like it. Yeah, I mean, like I like I keep saying, it's sad that this has to exist. But then on the flip side, you've got like, was it like last September? Like I caught some news about an Italian couple trying to find the edge of the Earth because they were flat Earthers, and they broke quarantine rules to get in a boat to try and sail to an island that was on the edge of the Earth or something like that. Did they make it? No. <laughs> oh, they fell they, off the edge. Oh, no. no, they got they got caught and they got brought back and, and made to observe quarantine. But like they were that convinced that the earth was flat that they thought if they were going to sail on from where they were in Italy, there was this particular island that was the edge of the earth, or so they thought. This middle-aged Italian couple. Um, It's just mind-boggling, isn't it? That, that like, and 
Well, it's not. It, it's mind-boggling that you can fall down a hole and you can be in the Hall of Mirrors for so long that you become part of the Hall of Mirrors in that way. Knowing that there is a a truth out there that you know to be true. Like, you have been taught for so long that the earth is round like you know the earth's round like deep down inside your soul you know the earth is round you look at everything to know the earth is round and i i just can't understand how how any other evidence that's contrary to that can supersede that when it's it's so shaky in comparison i just i don't know it's weird but yeah, like it, it just it goes to show that like yes, this stuff does happen, and people do fall into these rabbit holes, and and this book is necessary. <laughs> like this, the whole thing of this book holding a mirror up to what's going on in the world is necessary because of things like that. But yeah, um, I definitely recommend it. That was my second twenty twenty book, and I could not not mention that on this episode if we're talking about best books of last year because it resonated me so hard. Um. So, like, moving on from there, what we're going to do now is we're going to get into comfort books. So, when I say comfort book, I mean a book that brought you comfort during what uh, would have been, like, the deepest of lockdown last year or the deepest of of what was going on during the spring and summer of 2020. Um, so, my comfort books... Um, quite surprising actually because you wouldn't think the subject matter in the book would have been so comforting but um what i've gone for is quarantine comics which was the ice cream man uh team like basically when everything shut down um when when the comics industry all but halted because deliveries weren't able to go ahead and things like that and comic book shops weren't able to open and new comics were just kind of like sitting in warehouses printed ready that kind of thing um what the ice cream man team did is they in an effort to help during the crisis is they put together these two to four page comics that they brought out like once or twice a week um and uh, they sold them online as PDFs and they sent a portion of the money to the Book Industry Charitable Foundation, um, which supported like local bookshops and comic book shops, which were hit really hard financially during like some of these closures and things. Because obviously with, with things being as they were but, and, and as they are now in Britain at the moment, actually, because we we're we're in our third lockdown now but um as things were like we couldn't have shops open safely so and these little these these comic book shops and things like that were hit particularly hard by that because they obviously it relies on people being able to go in and pick up their physical media um and yeah so they did this to help and and these like to, to try and help the medium, in fact, to try and help comics in, ter- in general. And th- these these were like short tales by the AC- ICM creative team uh, for the most part with some guest creators also joining in. And they were actually a source of comfort for me in their effort to do something for the industry and help. It was nice to see something positive happening and to see the cogs continually turning and to have something to look forward to each week. It's like, oh, a new issue of Quarantine Comics this week. I get to look forward to that. Um, you know, something, something to, to have like 
to to kind of like to keep me going to look forward to um and yeah and like things had shut down and these guys were still out there examining the human condition still playing with humor and deep existential horror and still expertly crafting tragedies and still marching on some of it was like a slight change in tone but all of it was much needed and it was a comfort to have access to this and they were great and they ended up all collected in a physical issue that i managed to grab which came out last september um and um i'm still proud of the fact that i managed to get the foil thank you variant because they only did one of those for each comic store and i managed to get the one that was sent to my lcs because i asked them to put it in my pull box um and i bought that and like it's something that i will hold on to for the rest of my life like i'm like a lot of people bought these things they buy these things because they just want to they want to sell them on ebay and make as much money out of them as possible and things like that but i i, I feel like this is something special that i'm going to hold on to um because i i these comics are were like an important part of things that got me through 2020 i guess um and there were some great little some great little stories like we talked about a couple of them on the cast we talked about um quarantine comics number one uh, back in episode 85, which was the uh, the story of Will Shakespeare. <laughs> um, it, it was like a, a juxtaposition of how people were. So, so there was this thing going around during the, during the lockdown, this, this whole thing where people were like, oh, um, you've got all this time now to yourself. Uh, you should be ultra productive with all this time you've got to yourself during this, this, uh, this, this crisis that's going on, you know, like, Never mind your mental health. You should be ultra productive. I mean, think of William Shakespeare. He wrote. Um, he wrote during isolation. He the bubonic plague. He lived through the bubonic plague, and and he wrote some cool plays during that. So maybe maybe if Will Shakespeare could do it back then, when you know, it was like the fifteen hundreds or whatever sixteen hundreds. Like maybe you can do it as well. Like you know, and no, the reality is no. We we're not all like that. We're not all that. You know. Some of us, it, it, it was the, basically what this comic was. It was basically telling you it's okay to not be your best self and not be productive during that time. And it was a breath of air to see something like that out there. And I really, I really, really commended it. And I was really into it. Um, I was really into the idea of that, of, of using this as a positive, not only a positive force for the industry, but a positive force for anyone who might pick it up and read it. Like almost like one of those like short, like tweets or, or things you see where it's like, I don't know who he knew. I don't know who needs to hear this, but it's okay to spend tons of money on video games because it is. I don't know who needs to hear this, but it's okay to spend tons of money on comics. I don't know who needs to hear this, but it's okay to not be your best self and super productive during a world crisis pandemic. It's okay. And I loved that. That's what I loved about it. And it was great. Um, and then there was also this like witty retelling parody of the creation in the Garden of Eden and things, which was like a nice little bit of escapism that I needed. And um, the wise cracks at, and at, like little pops at modern society that they got in there and how we live such dull, unfulfilling lives and everything else. Like playing again with that existential dread, but doing it in a way that didn't fuck with me too much during the pandemic. <laughs> and actually helped which i i was really into so yeah i mean you guys read these as well right yeah yeah i kept i could well no i think i bought the first few i can't remember if i caught up to the rest yeah there was an animal crossing one as well <laughs> <laughs> did you did you read any of these leon i don't know no no i've not no. 
I yeah. I wanted to, and I wanted to catch up with the regular ice cream man, but I just haven't got around to it. Hmm. I mean, these are all still totally available. Like you can you can still buy them, um, and they are all still like they're they're all one hundred percent worth your time. So. I totally recommend checking these out. And they were a great source of comfort to me during everything that was going on. So I have to put these down as my number one comfort book. Yeah, um, they're a really good exercise in brevity as well. Like, I, I love short snippet stories. Some of them are really good. Like, just mm. bite-sized things. Yeah. Yeah, it gave me something to hang on to and, and hold on to, as, as well as, like, being able to grab comics digitally as well like so when things were getting released sometimes the, the release schedules remained and although they weren't able to release comics physically um we were able to buy comics digitally still and it was nice to have that weekly ritual still of being able to check the new releases for that week which was something i've built up like over my life as a comics fan like that weekly ritual of being able to see what's new on the stands. And it was nice to be able to do that. Even if I'm only doing that on my tablet in my house and going, Oh, that looks good. I'll have that on comiXology or whatever. It was nice to be able to do that still, you know? Um, and that during the fact that when the comic shops were closed and things, that was a source of comfort for me. Um, Ray, you got a comfort book? Aha. This is where I've got two. <laughs> so Ooh. suck it, Greg. Um, so, <laughs> Uh, so I don't know why I'm being so aggressive. Um, my first one is <laughs> my my first comfort comic. Um, but let me take a step back. Bloodborne was my lockdown game. That was my comfort game. Um, it's the game that kept me in touch with a wide net of friends. It had an eldritch setting that I loved. It gave me meaningful yet you know inconsequential goals, meaning that. You know, it gave me something to work towards, something that I wanted to work towards. But if I failed, it didn't matter because it's just a game. It's not like I had to accomplish something in my real life that would have, you know, resonating um, consequences or whatever. Um, And it's a game that gave me comfort through mastery through repetition like and this is a year or 2020 was a year see we're all still talking about 2020 like it's still happening 2020 was a year filled with meaningless repetition right right it it, it is still happening the the 41st of december 2020 (laughs) right now as we're recording this why would you say that yeah no you're right though because it does it feels like it feels endless we're in the same situation which means there's no delineation between one to the next but yeah it, it was and still is a time filled with meaningless repetition, right? Um, in that wake up, work, go to bed kind of thing. And um, it was nice to... It was weird that I found comfort in a game that essentially replicates that same loop. But instead of the repetition being the same in and out, like there was a thing to be gained by doing doing that repetition. You, you learn through doing, you, you know... Um, you got better because you tried so many times and you tried so hard. And like my, I basically had a few things that um, gave me this, which were naan bread, curry, longboarding, bloodborne, right? Those are the things that I repeated <laughs> over and over and over till I got good at them. Um, maybe not yeah. longboarding yet, but there's a, a comfort in approaching something that's seemingly insurmountable and chipping away at it through practice and persistence and help from friends who have much more talent and experience than me. And so while 
Bloodborne, the comic, is an extension of tragedies in a universe built on tragedies. The comfort came from revisiting these old haunts. And, like, one thing that 2020 taught me is, like, anything can feel comfortable, can feel like coming home if you give it enough time and instances. And, yeah, so I, I, I found this horrifying book full of horrifying eldritch creatures really, really satisfying because it felt like seeing more of my home that I spent, you know, 100 hours in this year, last year, whatever, 2020. So that's that's my first comfort book. Um, that's uh, written by Alice Cott, uh, art by Piotr Kowalski, um, colours by Brad Simpson, letters <coughs> by Editia Bidika, and that's published by Titan Comics. Uh, the second one is Watchmen. Um, by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, as we all know. And in a very similar sense to... Um... Hang on, no, let me take a step back. Uh, I, re-re- I reread all of Watchmen in time for the podcast um, when we were supposed to be recording for the comic, the prequel comics, and then the TV show and the film. And unfortunately, I wasn't available to record with you guys, um, you know, for various COVID reasons. But it was a joy to listen to you guys and ask you discussing the book in episode 83 back in March. And in a very similar sense to uh, the Bloodborne comic, it felt like coming home, um, but in on the opposite end, whereas, like, I had to start from... start as a noob and grow to mastery. Like, reading Watchmen felt like it it is a text that I'm already quite intimately familiar with but hadn't read in many years so like diving back into it um and having meant to reread it years after having read it for the last time because I'd recently watched and loved the 2019 Damon Lindelof HBO Watchmen series it yeah it felt like slipping into a like a a a body temperature bath like I didn't even notice it like I know it so well in and out but I don't know. I could I could revel at the bits that I knew I would enjoy, and I don't know that 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 was a comfort to me. And it, the fact that the podcast gave me a reason to do that, and it was at the the very you know beginning of lockdown and everything, and like I didn't know where it was going to lead to, but like I felt like I got something from that at the time. So that's my second pick. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I mean, like it, it is basically Watchmen. At this point, the amount of times I've read it is a comfortable pair of sweatpants. Right, exactly. So, it's that yeah. it's that pair of sweatpants that you like. You're almost you'd, you'd never wear in company. You're ashamed that you still own it, but like, why would you ever get rid of it? Because they're still functional. They're still fine. They don't have holes in places where there shouldn't be holes. They just yeah, exactly. Slip back in. Yeah. And it was you know it was a comforting thing to because it's something familiar and everything else. So yeah, one hundred percent for sure. And the, the reason I just to add one final point. The reason I pick these and I'm slightly surprised by them is because. Normally, I, I feel like I'm the one who likes the very <laughs> somewhat saccharine stories. I like the cutesy things. I like the ones that don't really have a lot of conflict in them. So for my comfort books to be two quite overtly violent stories came as a bit of a shock to me. But, you know, hopefully I've justified why. Yeah, you're, you're the sweet one. I'm the weird one. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, Leon, do you have a comfort book for us? My comfort book is in a very similar vein to Rahul's first book. Uh, Early on in the year, I think it might have been at least one of the first two or three podcasts we recorded in 2020, is when we revisited the works of Junji Ito. 
I, I looked at this when you put it on the sheet and I'm like, how is any of that comforting? <laughs> it's like the most, <laughs> the most anxiety driven books. Well, that's the thing. You, I'm, I'm never really been the type to like joyful or like sunny, cutesy stuff to be my, uh, safe space. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, more so if i'm feeling in a particular way i watch or read or listen to something which gives off a similar vibe so like rahul's the sweet one i'm the weird one and you're the wild card (laughs) (laughs) that's it's so weird to put it that way um but yeah i found in prep for that episode, which was episode 80, I had done like a lot of research, a lot of planning, uh, and obviously a lot of rereading of the books. And then we record the episode, and it was more like a, like a general chat about different elements of different uh, Ito works. But um, post the episode, I found myself going back and reading rereading some of the ones i hadn't read for years or uh checking out uh, some of the newer short stories and it has legit been like comfort food but i think it's comfort food in the sense that like you know what you're getting mm. and it's usually going to be something messed up and i love the way junji ito approaches these things because you can see like influences from all different types of horror and just life in general. But then the way how different things are brought together, the way how you have these recurring images that these just messed up, you look at it and it sort of sticks in your head and has so many of those going through the books that there's always one which like hooks its way into your brain and you're thinking about it. And then you start to think about other things that could happen in that scenario. So like, Oh, imagine if this happened, but in this way. And yeah, I find that reassuring. It's like, it's like going back to uh, like a warm blanket, but this one is a messed up blanket with like fish with legs and uh, spirals everywhere. <laughs> the weird kind of comedy to some of it as well which yes yeah. very dark humor in there that i quite enjoy and one of my favorite uh junjita things is um the facial expressions throughout mm. for the different characters it's like characters reacting to the most incredible things you can conceive in the most horrific circumstances and the way they convey the true terror that they're experiencing in that moment always gets me um, and I always enjoy, enjoy reading it. Um, mm. He's actually got another new book come, that I think has just come out this year. Or um, it, I don't know. You'll have to tell me because you might know more than me. This might have been a reprint or something. It's called Remina. Or Remina. It's, I think that's a reprint. Yeah, it's about a planet 
that comes from inside a wormhole and then but like I've not read it the planet uh is a it's a it's a hell star or something and it it it's coming towards earth and it's eliminating planets and stars one after the other until finally it gets to earth <laughs> and earth faces extinction <laughs> That so sounds amazing. <laughs> it's like somewhere between Galactus and possibly that moon thing that has a face, the Ganon-faced moon <laughs> in uh, <laughs> Majora's Mask. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm looking at this now, and like I really want. I I thought this was new because I'd never seen this before. But like it's it's um, it's not on. I couldn't find it digitally anywhere. Um. And oh no, it is on Kindle and Comicsology. I lie, but it's like recently added, so it's it's like I thought this was new. But, it might yeah, be like new to the. Mm. Yeah, I think it's it was originally published in two thousand and five, from what I can find. Um, yeah, because this is seventh yeah, that... of January twenty twenty one, according to this because for the publishing I think of this that's edition. One of but... the ones that hadn't been published internationally previously. Yeah, and had only been mm. like fan translations. Totally mm. want to check that out, though. I mean, That's on my Leon, list. though, to your point earlier, like I kind of see where you're coming from. I think, um, in terms of why this is satisfying, because I think uh, for comics, I am the saccharine, like the saccharine one. But in movies and stuff, I do find a lot of comfort in like the classic horror films or you know that kind of gory stuff. There's something satisfying that I I want to return to in that. And I think the best way I can think of like putting Junji Ito in that bracket is like. His books are satisfying in the way that a giant bucket of KFC is satisfying. You know what I mean? Like, they're all greasy and horrifying, and then when you're in the middle of it, you're in a trance, and then when it's over, you look back into the bucket and see the carcass, and you're horrified. Like, it's... I, I get it. Like, it's a it's a disgustingly delicious meal, and why wouldn't you want to go back to that occasionally? I think it's the lines and the art, like, for me, with the Junjito books. Like, I can, I can see comfort in... I can see comfort in the fact that they're so surreal... Mm. Um, and it's the like in the way that he draws like the lines like I mean like some of his books um, like especially like Gyo like are so weird and surreal and Gyo has like this real like line of humour running through it Mm. Um, and that I can I can you know I I fully fully say yes that is a comforting book (laughs) Like it can be a comforting book because it's it's hilarious, and it keeps you going, and you go chapter to chapter to chapter, and there's enough of it as well. It's satisfying size wise, like it's a good portion. So yeah, maybe it is a book at a KFC. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm vegetarian now, so I don't do that anymore. But yeah, <laughs> well, I, I do like how all of our comfort books are horrific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's been that kind of year, man. Yeah. It really <laughs> got, does um, paint a good picture. Mm. I got one more that I wanted to shout out for comfort books because it was comforting for me in a different way because it wasn't horrific. This was the TMNT ongoing book. Um, now, like, this is, like, post the fallout of the events of issue 100. So this is, the this is like, issue 101 onwards, like, from last year that I was finding comforting during what was going on. And the reason I was finding it comforting during what was going on is because the characters in the TMNT universe were largely going through a similar experience. So like in the fallout for the events of 100 and, and like 
in tying up loose ends for things that led up to that point. Like there was a new creative team from issue 101 onwards. When I say creative team, I mean one woman. I mean Sophie Campbell. It was like a beautiful, it's like it became like she took over like main writing and art duties and it became this like fantastic one woman show. Um, and like it's this whole concept that she introduced of mutant town, like after the bomb, like, so side, sidebar kind of thing. Like there's this, um, this whole, uh, TMNT RPG, um, which is like a, a pen and paper RPG, arcane thing, whatever, uh, that you can play that is based around a mutagen bomb going off and like all the different mutations that result from that different factions of mutants and things like that and i think what they have done is they what sophie campbell has done has taken that and adapted ideas from that with the whole mutant town thing and the whole post mutagen bomb thing into the tmnt canon and brought us what we are seeing now with these these mutants living you know like living with their mutations so obviously not every mutant is um was a human some of them were animals that then got more that that got smarter and and more anthropomorphic i.e the tmnt they started off as small turtles but like some people were humans and then became uh they took on animal traits after the mutation, after the mutagen bomb. And these people obviously struggling to deal with that. And they've set up like little support groups in mutant town and things like that. And like, it's just, it's just how this, this mutant, like how they're picking up the pieces uh, during this crisis and how they help to form a society and they help others that are dealing with the change because they have been completely forsaken by everything outside of mutant town. Like the mayor of the city who is at the, at this point Baxter Stockman is largely ignoring what's going on while also monitoring what's going on like it's some little experiment so he's got cameras set up and stuff like that or he's he's like spying on them and like it's how they're getting goods in from the outside and things like that and how they are the focus here is on like positive steps towards a better future and it's 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 gone less about them like at war and more about them trying to help in the community at war with other issues instead of being like physically at war that they set up like a, a dojo which is like a positive way to to keep kids off the street and and tr- and keep people occupied and train people they 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 set up a their they set up a dojo that they're, they're they're like training people in martial arts they are like doing things to help Mikey set up a podcast about living in mutant town to try and get like news out to people and, and to try and like get people involved and things like that. Um, they're going to do an election for mayor of mutant town. That's upcoming now. That's like the latest thing that they're on now because we've got differing. It turns out we've got different views as to how we would deal with mutation. And some people are happy with it. Some people aren't. Some people like the mutant animals uh, who are like kind of, kind of ruling with a little bit of an iron fist, but they're not so efficient at it because obviously whatever they're doing doesn't seem to affect what's going on with the turtles and things like that as a separate faction. So you've got the mutanimals, which are a group of 
kind of militant mutants, like mutants for mutants type thing. Um, I, I, I don't want to say mutant supremacist, but they're edging that way. Um, and they kind of like are running the town one way with their enforcers and stuff. And some people are into that. Some people are like, yes, I like the mutant animals. They, they gave me a, a purpose. They gave me a home. They gave me food, etc. And then you've got the, 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 other side of that thinking no the mutant animals are are brutes and they're just beating us all down for no reason and things like that and it's so they're doing this whole thing with this election and like just this focus on positive steps to create a better future for the mutants and it's very slice of lifey at this point like donatello is wearing dungarees and fixing water leaks and people's wi-fi and things like that it's great and it was good to see the guys doing good things and it was light and it's fun and it's helped me it's comforting to see them live like you know to, to do this and to live through a crisis in that way and helping each other and holding each other up in in that way and i i really enjoyed that and it was it was precisely what i needed last year so hats off to sophie campbell and all her excellent work on the new TMNT because I mean like like I'd have a bad thing to say about a Turtles comic anyway but like I gotta say I love what she is doing right now so yeah that's 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 my second comfort book <laughs> and I couldn't I couldn't let you get away without mentioning that one um so I guess we're on to discoveries now so um discoveries like i mentioned up top at the beginning of the episode uh, a book that you discovered um during 2020 so it doesn't necessarily it, it well it wouldn't it, it, like the it can be a 2020 book but like most part it doesn't have to be a 2020 book i mean like the ones i've chosen are from 2019 so my pleasant surprises and discoveries um i'm gonna open this with superman smashes the clam which was a, uh, we mentioned this in Ace Comicals episode 90, and uh, this was a 2019 book. And um, this was a, the reason I, I loved this so much is because it was a slice of comics history. And I missed this in 2019 when it was originally released. And then I found it in 2020 last year when I was, uh, when I was looking for things to read and, um, I, I wouldn't usually pick up a Superman story. Like Superman wouldn't normally be my go-to. Um, I'm not huge on Superman stories a lot of the time. Uh, but for some reason this, this really appealed to me. Um, I think it was the smashes, the clam bit as in the Ku Klux Klan. Um, so it was basically based on a 1940s radio show, um, the adventures of Superman. Uh, it was based on a, a storyline they ran called the clan of the fiery cross, uh, in this 1940s radio show. Uh, and, uh, this was like, um, the help they ran this story with the help of the ADL and, uh, Stetson Kennedy, who was like a really prominent anti-clan reporter, and they put together this 16-part story and um, it basically was there as a, a kind of like a shots fired at the KKK. It was it, it, it trivialized the rituals and practices of the clan. It made them look stupid. It made them look dumb. It was out to kind of like it was it was out to 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 caricaturize them and make them look stupid 
to kind of like stop to, to, to make people stop and think and to change people's minds about things and to to basically point people to the fact that, that this the, the, the because the Ku Klux Klan would have been on the rise again at that point and this was this was a way for them to strike out of the Ku Klux Klan and to remind people about how just fucking dumb all that shit is basically and how bad all of it is 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 the easiest way to explain it and now we have this graphic novel this this adaptation of it um and it is it was super powerful when i read it it was great um it has this this beautiful clean bold artwork it looks so bright the colors are gorgeous uh some fantastic character designs like i would love a dc anime i would love dc animated features in the style of this book i said this at the time when we recorded the episode and i'm saying it again now like i want dc to do animated features in the style of this book because it's great i want this book as an animated feature i think it would be it would make a fantastic animated feature um and i would I would love that. Like, honestly, it's, it's set during the golden age. It's like Superman. It's like golden age soups and the whole message in there and everything. It's just, it's just a beautiful book. And it was, it was what I needed to read at the time. And it was, it was some, it was what I needed to see, like some positivity right there. Um, like I discovered this in the midst of all the, um, the, the black lives matter protests and everything that was happening, uh, during the summer of 2020. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was a powerful, powerful graphic novel and I'm glad I read it and I would recommend it to anyone. And, uh, I'm sad that I missed out on this the first time around in 2019. So yeah, there we go. Um, brilliant book. Um, and like taught me something as well. Cause it is like, it gave me like a leaping point for like this, this research that I did. Um, because I love, I love losing myself in stuff like that, like doing this, like deep, deep research into things like, and, and like, it gave me a leaping off point for all this, like, uh, reading, like late night reading I did about like, uh, this, uh, 1940s Superman radio show. And even, even listening to some of it because, uh, I found a lot of it on YouTube yeah. and, um, I even put a link with the episode notes for, um, for episode 90. Uh, there is a link to a YouTube playlist that has the whole 16 episodes for, um, the clan of the fiery cross. If you wanted to go back and listen to that. Um, so yeah. Um, I'll give you some credits for that as well. So that was Superman smashes the clan. Um, if you want the credits, uh, that was uh, written by Jean Luen Yang. Uh, art was uh, Gurihiru, which is a team of uh, Chief Yu Sasaki and uh, Naoko Kawano, um, who are like uh, Chief Yu Sasaki was uh, pencils and inks, and uh, Naoko does colors. Um, lettering by Janice Chang, and uh, published by DC Comics. So. Leon, where are, we, where are we with you for your discoveries? So my discoveries are also older books. And in particular, they are two that we spoke about on this very podcast. Uh, the first one we spoke about in episode 91. And that was Ghetto Brother, Warrior to Peacemaker, which came out back in 2014. And 
that was the book written by Julian Vulage and Claudia Arling. Uh, Arling. And um, this was the book about the true story of a former uh, gang member, Benji Melendez, um, who basically sought to replace the violence uh, in gangs uh, and instead create a coalition um, to focus on uh, peace over violence and was successful in initiating a gang, gang truce uh, up in New York. And um, what I really enjoyed about this book is it like shone a light on a, an area of history that I was less informed on, but also is presented in a way that gets you like right there, right in, in, in the midst of it. And it, its artwork style is this almost almost chalky, but like highly like pencily type um, of art, and it it gives you it gives you a mix of like detail, but also like a, a, I don't know, like film of haze on it as well, and at times almost feels like. Um, you're not really on an odyssey, but as you're skipping through time with this person and you're we're, uh, going to these different events in, in time, uh, it really, it's almost dizzying at times to see uh, what this was like and, and what it, how, how the systems are set up to make uh, doing what uh, Melendez did such uh, an amazing thing. Uh, and I think what it's super successful is, at doing is adding a dimension to the people and the neighborhoods. Uh, this was like Bronx uh, to show how like a collection of people, mostly people of color, mostly the children of immigrants, uh, and this is like decades back in like the 60s and 70s, how how the world looked and how the outside looked to people and in terms of what their relationship was with, say, the government or like policing. And it's all of stuff. It's a lot of stuff that's obviously very relevant to today and was very felt even more relevant uh, last summer. But um like it, it's such a, hard to hard to describe, but I would say in a way it's an inviting look into into this world and this area, and it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like a whitewashed uh, like rendition of these events and this this time in history, but in, instead it does feel quite quite raw and at times sad but um very hopeful um elsewhere uh it, yeah it, it's, a, it's a book I'd, I'd highly recommend because when i talk about like loving graphic novels like this is this is what i'm talking about where it, 
we have a bit of beginning, middle of, and an end here, and it's just a solid story that you'll find interesting, but also revealing in other ways. I think this was kind of like a, a theme for us last year for, uh, at Ace Comicals as well, because we we kind of picked a lot of these kind of like um, true story, semi-biographical things to talk about, didn't we? There's a few that we did. We did Redbone, we did this, um, Bowie, which I mentioned up top. But we, we had a lot of these kind of like um, non-fiction uh, graphic novels going on, which um, I don't know. I don't know if that was if that was the year or yeah. if that was just, I don't know what, what was, was, was pushing that to the forefront of things that we were picking to talk about, but I enjoyed it. And I actually actively seek this stuff out now. Like, cause I, I think that for me, because I enjoy, um, I enjoy history and things like that as well. And I enjoy looking into these, um, the, these parts of history that often get overshadowed or don't get taught at school or don't get like things, things that people should know, but don't know because of the way that our education system is geared up and works. And sadly the institutionalized racism that is part of that. And I enjoy like getting to learn about these things in events and getting to learn about this stuff. And I enjoy going back and looking at it. And I think these graphic novels provide a great leaping off point for me because I can read something like this and then I can spend hours looking at, looking for more information and things like that, which is really cool. And uh, they are, I, I think they're a really cool educational tool. I think they should have more of this sort of stuff in schools. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, agreed. Hmm. Definitely. Um, so yeah, um, I think I'm going to go back round and uh, I'm going to give you a another discovery of mine from last year, just briefly, which is a book called Red Mother, um, which I had to mention this. This had to be mentioned as a discovery of mine because I think, Ray, you initially had this on your list, didn't you? And then you changed it. I did because um, I, I kind of re-reflected on it and I think because I hadn't finished it and some of the the uh, criticisms I had with it feeling quite drawn out and very comic book in the sense that like I wanted it to be a complete graphic novel. I took it back off and realized I had something more appropriate, but it's definitely a good comic and I'd you know, be uh, keen to see why, why you consider it your best discovery. I think it's my best discovery because it was like one of the best horror books I read last year. And, and, and because I'm, I, I, <laughs> In this book, I am a fan of the slow burn. And I love the kind of like the slow build and this whole inevitable kind of like march towards doom that this whole thing has going on and how everything is orchestrated and preordained and put into place like a puzzle because puzzles are at the center of this book. <laughs> um. And just how it it has this like cosmic horror thing going on, which I love, like cults, cosmic horror, things like that. Like it's a big theme in a lot of the music I listen to. It's it's just I don't know why I find it fascinating. I just do like this kind of like occult type thing. And it has this like occult mood about it and this occult, le these occult leanings, this cosmic horror type stuff going on. 
Um, yeah, it has a very like Wicker Man and Hereditary sort of thing going on with it. Yeah, right? yeah, and uh, it's this um, this woman who who's her her career is basically in creating intricate. I want to say esoteric puzzles, um, and she um, she experiences a traumatic event, um, very traumatic. Um, she. Uh, she's attacked in the street. Her boyfriend is dragged off and presumed dead. Um, and she loses an eye during the attack. Um, and like the first issue also deals with how she comes to terms with that and, and the healing process and everything else. Um, and then all the while in the back of it, there's something a little bit strange going on. And like, as you go through issue by issue, the strangeness becomes more, it, it, the strangeness, the, the eldritch horror and, and everything else gets more and more towards the forefront. This kind of like weird cosmic horror, this occult kind of like, um, these occult leanings and whatever become more and more like everything starts to bend and warp more and more as you get further in and you just can't help yourself, but go down that spiral staircase. And, um, I think I was initially glad that I had a bunch of this to read all at once. (laughs) Um, because I don't think I could have stood having it issue by issue week by week. I think that would have killed me. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a great great little book, and it's it's a great slow burn. It has some really gorgeous artwork, um, some great details, some great character design, like, and it's just like fantastic start to finish. Like, as far as I am, eleven issues in, and I I love every second of it. And that is um, the Red Mother, and that is uh, created by Jeremy Horn, uh, written by Jeremy Horn. Illustrated by Danny Luckett and uh, lettered by Ed Dukesha. Um And it's just, it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous book. Um, and it just has everything that I look for in a good horror comic. And I think it was one of my better discoveries of last year. And when I pick it as one of my better discoveries, it, again, it's like, how did I miss this the first time round? Because this is like, this just screams at me as something that I would be into. And somehow this passed me by. Like I follow Jeremy Howell on Twitter. I've read his other work. I, I, I was re- I've been reading The Realm, which is another book that Jeremy Howell has worked on. And uh, somehow, some way, this, this drifted by me uh, when it was originally released and I had to pick it up last year instead. But there we go. Um, Ray, your discovery, please. Yeah, so my discovery of 2020 is a 2020 book, um, and it's Don't Go Without Me by Rosemary Valero O'Connell, published by Shortbox and also available on PDF via Gumroad, I believe. And it's literally one of the last discoveries I was able to make in the real world. Like, it's the last graphic novel I bought in a brick-and-mortar shop. Um, Shout out to Gosh Comics in London. Hope they're doing okay. Um, I don't know what their situation is, but, you know, fingers crossed for them. And yeah, so it, I feel like it, it it's a double up sort of pick because not only is it an incredible book, but it like, it, and maybe I'm being too romantic about it, but like it does 
have this place in my head and in my heart being like one of the last things that I saw on a shelf and thought, oh, what is this? I'll just get it because it looks cool. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I, I, I picked it up in Gosh Comics and I was waiting for my girlfriend to do a cat sitting job somewhere in Farringdon. So I... Uh, and I never, I never do this. I never pick up a book and then go to a cafe and read that book after I bought it. But I got to do that with this one, this last remnant of the real world. You know, <laughs> totally can't cafe. do that. Totally can't do that anymore. Hundred percent. And I never, <laughs> I, I, ne- I never really did it anyway. So it's kind of, I don't know. It's yeah. a weird synchronicity or something. Oh, with, with I've, it, with I've, I've done that hipster thing. I've, I've bought comics and then I've gone and sat in the pub and made notes on comics in the pub with a pint in front of me looking all important like I'm like you know I've sat there making my notes for this show in the pub before and like reading comics and like making notes and whatever and then getting into like semi-merry conversations with the bar staff that I know about it like oh yeah like I think it was when I was when we covered Obscura last year and I remember spending a whole night in there talking. I was waiting for Sophie to finish work. And I remember spending a whole night in the bar talking to uh, some of the bar staff that I know um, about uh, Victorian death photography. <laughs> like, because of like, yeah, this is, these are the rabbit holes I fall into. But yeah, anyway, like I loved, yeah, like, I used to love doing stuff like that. But yeah. Yeah. And more power to you. Cause like, I, I didn't, I'm not saying this with any sense of shame or judgment or whatever. Mm. Like I, <laughs> I, I'm questioning to myself, like, why didn't I do this more often? Like, it's, it was such a nice experience, and I'm so glad that I had it um, before, you know, any of us knew any of this shit was going to go down. But, like, yeah, I was sat in a cafe reading this cover to cover, and, like, um, it's... So it's it's a self-described as a triptych collection of stories on love, loss, longing, and connection. And I previously talked about this back on um, episode 82, but... Um, and I, so I don't want to I don't want to rehash too much about what I loved about it because I think I expressed that relatively well back then. But in reflecting on it um, for this episode, I do want to speak on the things it evokes in me now because I reread it yesterday just to you know remind myself what it was because it's quite an abstract piece and it's it's actually three stories rolled into one book. Um, but firstly, it's absolutely beautiful. Like it flows like a dream. The line art and the panel construction work in absolute harmony um it lets you luxuriate in like florid swirling richly dense pages lulls you into its soft romantic swirls and then trips you up by shifting the template or the reading layout or the perspective or the actors in the scene and it it uses a um very deliberate and consciously limited color palette for each story to really incredible effect like finding so many ways to allow each color to evoke a different thing or a, you know, a wide array of tones. And it also, it presents a very diverse spectrum of, of um, body, skin tones, hairstyles, languages, um, modes of speech, modes of thought, uh, relationships and such. And that it, it covers it all in such a short time. Like it's so impressive how it gets to cram all of that in, into this, this one package. And it's, I mean, it, it it's become, I, I, because I'm the one who keeps bringing up um, like how it made me feel in the context of lockdown. Like it's become really difficult not to relate all these stories somehow to the time that we're currently living through. And I don't want to be too prescriptive because all of these stories are, are dense enough to have multiple varying touch points and could be read into in various different ways. But I'm going to go through them as quickly as I can one by one. And just some of the comments that I've got 
on how it makes me feel now um, relative to what it you know what I would have said back in episode 82 so um, story number one is called don't go without me which is also the name of the the title of the book and the the primary colors are white brown peach and black and one of the opening lines is worlds sinking up and diverging but never touching um, which is atop a description of hands intertwined but like separated in pains with like jumbled shards of glass and if that isn't a 2020 sentiment then i don't know what is you know what i mean like yeah um there are and and in some ways like what what i mean about it um having lots of different touch points like one of the things i thought was it's the book is filled with these ravenous little creatures who are hungry and nothing fills their bellies like stories that's how i feel as like a consumer of media this year like i need something to do i need something to occupy me with i just like fill me up with your stories right um and then there's there's a part where uh, the the lead character is um, giving a really like uh, descriptive uh, like explaining the minutia of someone that they love but are distanced from and like the in, the slow inevitable shearing slippage of all the layers of that detail as the more she expresses it the more she loses grip of it like that feels like a very 2020 social distancing thing um wandering through an unfamiliar land lost in the throng of people and sights and like the mixing of organic and architectural life which i'm really missing like i have been missing for you know almost a year now like that's a very quarantine sentiment and then Moving on to story two, uh, called What is Left, and the primary colours are white, fuchsia, sort of navy blues and lilacs, and it's about living through someone else's memories, played back like recordings and snippets, and having memory be a kind of mechanical fuel, and the somewhat perverse, like vicarious living through these stories, because you're trapped alone in the heart of a dying machine very 2020 uh being lost and hoping to be found and this like delicious romantic otherworldly loneliness very 2020 and um the final story called uh contemor contenora uh sorry if i butchered that but it means with fear with tenderness is uh formed of a combination of the above colors with this additional muted minty green and like it's all around, um, or at least the way I read into it, was the myths that form around the remains of a grand event. Um, in this case, manifest as a literal giant sitting in the ocean. And it's a story about like pondering the consequences, the attempts to derive meaning and poetry and you know attribution or not to something that affected all of us on a global scale. Um, how this will all appear in distant retrospect and the predictions we can make about our next steps, you know, going, going through it and looking back. And, you know, while we contemplate all of this, how do we choose to act? And do we choose to celebrate or despair or take action? And like, I don't know, I feel like it's, this whole book was very prescient that way without knowing that it was going to be because like, I don't know. I like I like that it doesn't have any answers. Because um, how how could these stories have any answers? But I I really love these kind of stories which present a a glut of ideas, and that's what this book has in spades. Like just so many ideas to contemplate about the life we're living right now. And it's like uh, I'm trying to think of a way to express it. Like it's handing you a basket of like swollen grapes of inspiration to be thrown at the desperate cactus of our minds to see what <laughs> penetrates and sticks you know what i mean like I, I, maybe you've, this should have been my book of 2020 as well like, I, I, you, you've <laughs> just said that and now because i've been watching an awful lot of taskmaster recently i'm imagining <laughs> davies 
telling me to throw grapes at a cactus. What is it about Taskmaster that it's a really perfect lockdown show? Because me and Anna binged all of it over the course of I don't know um, like, the last I, few weeks. It's got yeah. some of my favourite comedians on it for a start. I mean, I love James Acaster. Mm. Mm. Um, but like, it's just, I've been watching like... Well, I think Sophie might actually be watching it at this very moment while we're recording. But yeah, we've been we've been binging Taskmaster. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I think it's almost like the video game things I said further up, yeah. where it's like it's fun just watching people do meaningless tasks because you got to occupy yourself somehow. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that is a good show. That's, that was, it is that's yeah. a good show. But yeah, um, I don't know. I I, I, re- I really enjoyed this book. I. I really hope people go out and um, pick it up. I really, I really love Shortbox as well, and that's yeah. um, the same publisher for the book Leon mentioned, which was um, what was it uh, uh, Beneath the Dead Oak Tree? Um, they put out some amazing stuff, and yeah, that would be my pick. Go, go and read that. Might you might find some value in it. Throw grapes you will at find this some cactus. Value in it. Yeah, throw grapes, throw grapes at some cactus. Yeah. <laughs> throw grapes at this cactus. The most grapes stuck to the cactus at the end of the time limit wins. <laughs> Leon, did you have another discovery book that you wanted to bring up? Uh, yes, yes. Um, oh, sorry, did I <laughs> did I uh, spoiler that one? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, it's fine. It's a, it could have been a good segue. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I... Like, jumping off what you were saying about short box... I think it was in April last year with the like pandemic hitting in a bunch of big countries I think uh, they wanted to put some goodness into the world so they started putting up a bunch of comics like free uh, like on different weeks and the first one they did was uh, Beneath the Oak Tree by Emily Carroll and on this very podcast I've spoken about uh, Emily Carroll's When I Arrived at the Castle which is a book that I had a lot of of love for and and enjoyed and it was interesting to go back to a book that she had done the year before that one and to see how similar but also different her style is between the two books and a brief summary of Beneath the Dead Oak Tree is that a a, a, a sort of female-looking character sees a male-looking character who is pretty much the dude is running this big soiree, uh, murder someone, and then instead of being terrified by this, this this character is now interested in this, and it, it over the course of its uh, say thirty or so pages, explores a lot of this stuff, and uh, it like goes beneath the surface in terms of what you like expectation, but also like an, an inner. I guess we all have our little our inner beast inside us waiting to come out. And, um, yeah, I think the thing I really love about Emily Carroll books is obviously the art, which is really cool. And I do like how it sort of breaks with form in a way. And you have these really cool pages 
uh, split up and segmented in sort of non-standard ways. Yeah, you get your nine panel pages from time to time, but then you also get things where like dramatic action happens on top, laying on top of the panels and we get staircase panels and we get all sorts, whatever like fits what's trying to be conveyed on each page is is what is implemented and it's always done really well and I think I just really like how these books march to their own drummer and there's a new when you reread there's always a new detail as you're finding I think I said before about when I arrived at the castle that it felt like reading a graphic a poem and I would definitely mm. say that Beneath the Dead Oak Tree has that same sort of feel um, like it's, it's hard because in some ways I just want to be like yeah and when this bit happens and this bit happens but I mean ultimately like I said on the previous episode read this book like I think one thing that you can tend to get with, say, comic books or just, like, the sort of not-online culture of it all is people exploring different types of books and having, like, your certain preferences and whether that is reading the big two and keeping up with all the superhero comics or whether it's checking out the like creator owned books on in places like image and such and or whether it's like graphic novels or like autobiography type ones but i always think it's good to like even then step outside of the bubble and, and pick something up just because it looks interesting or just because it sort of speaks to you on on a different level and i always think it's good to shake it up because i mean i have a quite eclectic um like taste for different things but i would sort of said in in general that uh, isn't uh, i don't think like just on look that this would be the book for me um this like years back so it's nice to be a, a a place where i'm like eagerly anticipating something that i may not have engaged with maybe five ten years ago so i mean my my ramble is just to make sure that you always keep an open mind of comics because mm. especially with comics there's just it's such an exciting medium and there's always something really interesting um to to get involved in um mm. and i think you're like spoiled for choice in terms of the uh the diverse amount of of art and, and content you can you can engage with so um definitely 2021 check something out that is definitely not in your wheelhouse that is outside of your comfort zone because you may be pleasantly surprised if there's anything i've learned over my time like getting deeper into comics and doing this cast it's like that that there is no such thing as it's not in your wheelhouse because there's something for everyone in everything. Like you will find like it, 
I mean, like you will. I don't. I don't think there's there's such a thing as this as something that wouldn't necessarily appeal to you because there's always going to be. You will always find something to love inside that somewhere, and you you should just you shouldn't ever dismiss things based on the fact that they don't look like something that you would initially gel with. Um, and what I'm trying to say is don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> but then, yeah, I mean, it, it, sometimes, if the cover's yeah. really good, buy yeah. it because the cover's really good. Yeah, if the cover's, like, totally rad, then, yeah, totally judge it by its cover and, and <laughs> buy it. <laughs> but, you know, otherwise, don't judge a book by its cover is but the short way of saying that. It's also partly, like, reassess what what's valuable to you, because it's kind of like what you were saying, Greg, with the... Um, why has this year for us been so full of biographies or like, you know, um, nonfiction works. And like, this is an argument that I used to have with my dad when I was 18 and it's don't, I'm, I'm so glad he doesn't listen to the podcast cause he's a hundred percent right. But you know, I don't want him to hear that, but like <laughs> he would read a lot of nonfiction and I was like, no, I love fiction. Like I want to read stories about sci-fi and fantasy. I'm like, obviously I'm a dumb kid and it's a reductive argument to begin with. But the point is I've got to a certain age where now I do find a lot of value in nonfiction and especially well-written nonfiction that teaches me about, you know, history and, um, you know, all the stuff you were saying, basically. And it's the same thing with any sort of medium and the same with these comics where you might find in your 30s compared to your 20s, you have more of a, um, a touch point with poetic works, whereas before you didn't. So, like, it's always worth going back and just trying it again. Yeah. I mean, you also might find that because you're now 30, insurance companies and... and you know, various other things that you used to associate with your parents and adults are being <laughs> targeting their advertising at you now. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, there's a direct line home insurance advert that uses Donatello from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. It's sort of working. Because <laughs> I'm now thinking, oh, you know, maybe I should check out what direct line offer home insurance wise. <laughs> Because I'm an adult now and I have to do that sort of thing. So, <laughs> ugh. But yeah, it's it's weird. Like this surreal world where like they're aiming this stuff at the forever children now, and it's like <laughs> it's funny because I I remember a while yeah. ago they were doing like insurance adverts for the the Jetsons and whatever, and yeah. like it's they've definitely done the um the generational shift if they've gone from the the Jetsons to the Flintstones to like TMNT now it's they're targeting the mid 30 year olds yeah makes makes sense yeah it's it's and like there was another advert about um like mortgage um an app that that helps you with your, your mortgage or whatever and it was like this really well animated advert of this guy in hell having his entrails pulled out by disembodied green hands and stuff and i was like this is so rad and then i found out it was a mortgage advert (laughs) that's wild i haven't seen that (laughs) Uh, if i find it again i will share it with you um but yeah it's it's so surreal having this and you just brought all this up in my mind when you started talking about being 30 but yeah (laughs) so so sorry to remind you having all this stuff aimed at me when i used to like associate it with like Welsh opera singers and 
like my mum and dad. So <laughs> yeah, there we go. So yeah, I think that wraps us up for um, 2020. So that was Ace Comicals in 2020, I guess. That was like all of our... That was a rundown of what we considered to be the best of 2020. Um, so what I would now urge you to do is go to various comic outlets um, and buy these books if it's safe to go buy them physically, which in the UK currently it is not. Everything is closed. Stay at home because it's dangerous. Um but like obviously these are all of, a lot of these are available digitally as well so just go hit up your favorite digital store and grab them that way um what i'm going to what i want to do now is like i wanted to just sort of like look ahead into what we have coming out this year because it is january now and uh it's january 2021 and there is a slew of things to look forward to this year comics wise i've picked a couple i don't know do you guys have anything you're particularly looking forward to this year anything caught your eye news wise whatever no my whole derail topic at the very start of this episode was to avoid this section i haven't looked forward at all (laughs) i have no idea what's coming out this year um Leon, have you, has anything caught your eye at all? No, no. You know, we, this, this is not how the show works, Greg. <laughs> like, we, I, like, skate forward, and then I'm like, oh, crap, that's coming out. Cool. And then <laughs> and then you recommend some stuff, and then I see yeah. something else that's cool, and then Rahul recommends something. Well, anyways, I picked out a couple of things that I'm really looking forward to this year. Um, so you will not be surprised to know that i'm looking forward to a new swamp thing series that comes this march from dc comics um which is written by ram v um which oh cool i you know is an absolute pleasure to say ram v writing one of my favorite characters swamp thing like i am really really into the idea of that um so he's doing the swamp thing series uh he's got mike perkins on art um he's got um Adichabidika on letters as well so uh, it's looking pretty hot I'm like totally into this um, and it comes hot on the heels of the DC Future State thing that's going on which is something else I've not had a chance to get into and read yet but that's another 2021 thing I was looking forward to this ambitious look at the future of the DC universe like within um, a, a, like this, this event they're running this DC Future State event um, which is like all post Dark Knight's Metal and everything else. Um, we've also got uh, this book coming out called Two Moons, um, which is an image comics book. And um, this is going to be an ongoing horror series um, by John Arcudi and uh, Rising Star Valerio uh, Gian Giordano. And uh, it's this like journey of a uh, a pawnee man named virgil morris aka two moons fighting for the union during the civil war when he's suddenly confronted with his shamanistic roots um he discovers horrors far worse than the combat as the ghosts of his past reveal the monstrous evil around him so i am totally looking forward to getting to check that out and that is going to come in out in february oh uh man bat is getting his own um his own series so that's man bat the batman villain so no 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 man bat uh he's the the one that's a big bat (laughs) 
he's like a werewolf but he's a bat like yeah um if you want a good introduction to who man bat is and what man bat is then uh, go away and watch the episode of batman the animated series called on leather wings uh, so yes, for years, Kirk Langstrom has struggled with his monstrous alter ego, Mambat, and the serum that transformed him, but he's finally hit rock bottom following a devastating setback, and he's going to take his anger out on every single citizen of Gotham City. Will the combined might of Batman and the GCPD be enough to stop Langstrom once and for all, or will this just be the start of Mambat's devastation? And the cool thing about this is, I assume it's going to be from Mambat's point of view. So it's not a Batman story, it's a Mambat story. <laughs> and uh, we get to see Batman beating Mambat through the eyes of Mamba. <laughs> so go figure. But I, I am interested in that. Um, yeah, I mean that amongst a lot of other things. Like, those are just three. But like there's this there's a bunch of other stuff coming out. There's um a sort of like a, a speaking of like we've been talking about um like uh autobiography autobiographical type stuff and nonfiction comics. Um we've got this um a book about Steve Ditko. Uh, which is called Ditko Shrugged instead of Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> um, and um, it's uh, a book that seeks to shed more light on the life of Ditko and what shaped him and everything else. And uh, we, uh, yeah, we have this this kind of like this nonfiction um, graphic novel coming up about the life and times of Steve Ditko, which uh, I'm quite interested in checking out. Um, so that's another one. Um there's a lot of Batman books. Um, yeah, it's just, it's going to be, oh, haha, which is something we were talking about, like, prior to the beginning mm. of this cast, uh, which is this really um, interesting looking clown book, which is by uh, the, the writer of the Ice Cream Man comics, which is W. Maxwell Prince. And what he's doing is he's taking basically everything that makes ice cream man good and he's making an anthology series about clowns <laughs> which i am totally 100 percent on board with like i i fill a bath with it i want to dissolve and be washed down the plug hole <laughs> yeah, yeah i i'll read that just because of the craters yeah <laughs> but yeah it looks it looks fantastic it's got this really there's this cover art for it that just looks in like i think this is like the cover of issue one it looks insanely creepy it's this clown um and it's done in this kind of like painted way um you know like when you see these like um there's this painting that i used to see a lot which was like a, a clown riding the earth like a space hopper is the best way i can describe it it's like a clown sitting on the earth like my grandma used to have that painting in her house. It was in my aunt's bedroom. What? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that sounds awful. Yeah. And, and I remember just like seeing this in various places, in various forms, a clown sitting on planet Earth. And if I ever manage to dig it up again, guys, I will share it with you. But it, it's just like it's painted in the style of these like these creepy clown paintings that people just used to have in their houses. Like... I don't know why. Maybe they were part of some weird secret society or something. But like, <laughs> my grandma's not in a cult. But 
I think yeah. I may have found it, by the way, by uh, Robert Owen, if you want to Google it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Listeners out there, yeah, for your own edification. Yeah, but it's it's kind of reminds me of that. and, and But it has like this real sinister air to it because there's a lot of shadow going on. And this clown is just pulling this never ending stream of handkerchiefs out of his mouth. And there's just something weirdly like off kilter and twisted and like strange about it that speaks to me on an unknown level it's like there's uh, episodes of um was it an episode of dexter's lab where he gets told a joke and then he turns into a clown he has nightmares about the joke why was six afraid of seven because seven eight nine and the uh, joke just keeps resonating in his head so over and over again yeah that and sounds really familiar <laughs> in the end he can't he's like sweating away and it's like this whole like this this like children's psychological thriller which is an episode of dexter's lab where he turns into a clown because of this one joke this joke that's like a virus that, that like gets into his head and holy shit i've just realized dexter's lab was trying to teach me about memes but uh <laughs> there we go if it was dexter's lab i might be entirely wrong but yeah so yeah i mean like yeah that's yeah, that's what sets me off about Dexter. that i believe you're correct yeah I don't know. It just, it just in my head, like, why was six afraid of seven? Because seven, eight, nine. And it just echoes in his head in that voice over and over again. And it's this repetitive thing that it does, like the Omelette du Fromage episode as well. And, oh, it's great. Oh, Dexter, the unsung genius of Dexter's lab. But yeah, um, (laughs) another time for that. So, um, I think that wraps us up. So yeah, so that's some things to look forward to in 2021. We have no pool list this week. Um, but yeah, so uh, we will close you out. So this has been the first episode of Ace Comicals in 2021. And that is Ace Comicals 103. You can find us in all the usual places, uh, com, which is a hub for everything we do. Uh, you can listen to us everywhere. Your favorite podcatcher, just go find us, download it, listen to it, enjoy it. Um, we are on Twitter under at Ace Comicals, where you can get involved in the conversation at us, DM us, uh, anything that we've spoken about today. Um, if you've picked any of it up and read it, if you have opinions, if you want to tell us your books of 2020 using the same format, if, if you want to give us your comfort book, your discovery and your 2020 book, get in touch and, and, you know, have that conversation with us because we want to talk about comics. That's why we do this podcast. So we're out to talk to you about comic books. Um, another thing as well, I did post on Twitter that, um, because of what's going on in the UK at the moment, it's a, it's a pretty rough time for a lot of people. And, uh, what I'm doing is, uh, well, if anyone's interested, I'm going to put together some care packages of comics. If anyone wants one, um, I've got a bunch of comics here that, um, I, I would love to give you to read because I think they're fantastic. And these are books that I've recommended via the cast. And I think, I think other people should read them. So if you want a comics care package, get in touch and, uh, DM us and we can arrange that and, and we can get that sent out to you. If, if you feel like you want one, or if you know someone that could do with a pick me up that would like something like that, then, then, you know, get in touch and, and, and what a wonderful surprise for them. It will be to get a nice little comics care package. Um, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. Uh, again, talk to me about comics. It's what I love. Ray, where can we find you? Uh, also on Twitter at Monker, M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And Leon, where can we find you? You can also find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. 
Yes, and that has been Ace Comicals 103. Ace Comicals, over and out.